Welcome to another Freshfields Tax Matters podcast. Today we'll be discussing the proposal to change the scope of the UK sovereign immunity tax exemption as set out in a somewhat unexpected consultation announced at the beginning of July. With me to discuss this development, we have tax experts Helen Buchanan, May Smith and Charlotte Anderson from the Freshfields London tax team. Hello, everyone. Hello, Josh. Hi there. Hi, Josh. To kick us off, Charlotte, can you provide a high level overview of the proposals in the consultation? Thanks, Josh. This consultation sets out a proposal to legislate the UK's policy concerning the sovereign immunity exemption from direct tax. As part of this, legislation will be introduced to define the types of investors who can benefit from immunity and changes are envisaged and limit the situations in which sovereign immunity applies, most notably so that UK property income and gains, as well as UK trading profits, are no longer protected. The government proposes that the new rules will apply from April 2024 with apportionment rules where a sovereign entity's accounting period straddles the 1st or 6th of April. In relation to the timing of the consultation itself, which, as you said, was a bit unexpected, it was also a few days before Rishi Sunak's resignation as Chancellor and Boris Johnson's announcement to resign as Prime Minister. And that sort of caused some people to question whether this will still be going ahead. Um, But despite the flux In government, we understand that HMT and HMRC are still actively seeking responses to the consultation. And the expectation is that a final policy on the topic and a government response to the consultation is likely to follow in autumn 2022. And draft legislation will be released in summer 2023. So for anyone listening, thinking of replying to the consultation, we would encourage you to do so because politics hasn't changed anything, it seems. And Charlotte, what's prompted this? What's the rationale behind these proposals? So the rationale to legislate the exemption is firstly that the UK's approach to sovereign immunity, because it's not currently set out in legislation, is not terribly transparent or well understood. The clearance-based process for sovereign immune status uh, also risks inconsistency and unfairness. That logic also underpins the codification of the definition of sovereign immune. However, HMRC and HMT have also questioned whether the definition has, in some respects, become too broad. For example, does the sovereign immune status afforded to non-UK public pension funds mean that they're better off than UK pension funds? The consultation suggests that sovereign pension funds may need to rely on other reliefs designed specifically for pension funds and or double tax treaties in future, rather than using their sovereign immune status. In addition to changing or clarifying the eligibility criteria, the consultation also proposes narrowing the scope of the exemption. The logic given for the proposed narrowing is that the UK is currently more generous than its main competitors, who the consultation say tend to limit sovereign immunity to specific categories of investment income, looking at jurisdictions such as Australia, Canada, France and the US. The impact of that generosity on the exchequer has become more pronounced over recent years due to a couple of factors. And this is the sort of revenue raising reason for the proposed changes. First, the increased investment from sovereign immunes and their broader investment profile, which now much more commonly includes real estate investments and trading activities. Secondly, the broadening of the scope of non-resident capital gains tax in relation to UK property has meant that the benefit afforded by sovereign immunity has increased as compared for other categories of non-resident investor. And HMRC has suggested specifically that changing the scope of sovereign immunity will level the playing field amongst all non-resident investors. 
Coming back to the point that the UK is more generous in its tax treatment of sovereigns than its competitor jurisdictions, the consultation sets out some specific examples of other countries' practice, including that under Section 892 of the US Internal Revenue Code, foreign sovereigns are not exempt from US tax on income from commercial activity. However, what the consultation doesn't pick out is that there are some nuances to the US position, including that subject to certain ownership limitations, Foreign sovereigns are generally exempt under Section 892 on dispositions of stock in US real property holding corporations, which generally include US REITs. And for this reason, foreign sovereigns often invest in US real estate through REITs. These types of nuances will need to be taken into account when the UK government is considering these proposals to ensure that the UK does not become less competitive in this regard. A relatively small change to the UK's competitiveness could have a big impact for funds considering where to deploy their capital in future. Thank you, Charlotte, for that overview. Before we get into the detail of the proposals here, Helen, could you remind us what is the current position as regards the exemption for sovereign immunity from UK tax? Thanks, Josh. Well, the UK recognises the principle of international law known as sovereign immunity, whereby one sovereign state doesn't seek to impose its domestic laws over another. And as Charlotte said, principle of sovereign immunity is not set out in legislation. Instead, it's based on common law and practice, and that includes reliance on some relatively brief HMRC guidance, which confirms that existing UK practice is to treat all income and gains which are beneficially owned by the head of state and the government of a foreign state recognised by the UK as immune from direct taxes. The guidance also states that sovereign immunity from taxation doesn't apply to income arising to and beneficially owned by a legal entity that's separate and distinct from the foreign government, even though that entity may be wholly owned by the foreign government. But in practice, there is some leeway if that entity can demonstrate that it's essentially a pure pass-through entity. And the position is also slightly different where crown rather than sovereign immunity is in play, as crown immunity is slightly broader in scope. As regards sovereign wealth funds, the UK government's historically taken the view that where a fund's an integral part of the government, the foreign sovereign state, it will benefit from immunity. But the question of whether or not a particular fund is an integral part of the government is one that needs to be answered on a case-by-case basis. And that usually requires an application to HMRC's sovereign immunity team to confirm whether sovereign immunity applies to it in a particular case or not. And just one point of detail is that sovereign immunity confers immunity from UK direct tax. But the State Immunity Act 1978 expressly provides that it doesn't extend to VAT and customs duties And in practice, HMRC also don't accept that it applies to stamp duties. So not all taxes are covered. Thank you, Helen. So May, turning now to the proposed restriction on the scope of sovereign immunity, what is it they're planning here? Of course. So the the first aspect, as Charlotte highlighted, is that the proposal is to narrow the scope of the exemption. And the idea is that really the exemption going forward should only be available for passive investment income. And the way that it's proposed that that is achieved is just to say that there is an exemption for non-trading UK source interest income. And there would be an equivalent withholding tax exemption for interest payments to sovereign immunes. And you might think that's quite a narrow way of phrasing an exemption for passive investment income. But the logic for formulating the exemption in that way is that the other main type of passive investment income that HMRC thinks should qualify for relief is dividend income. But obviously, the UK doesn't tax non-residents on UK source dividend income anyway, in general. So the view has been taken that no specific exemption from tax is needed um, for foreign sovereigns on dividend income. 
Of course, that is a really significant narrowing of the scope of the exemption as it's currently applied. There are a couple of main areas where income and gains that would currently be exempt will become exposed to UK tax. Possibly the most obvious example is profits and gains from UK real estate, including property income dividends from REITs. Under the current proposals, those would all become taxable in the hands of sovereigns. And similarly, profits from UK trading activity could become taxable at all, which could be problematic where sovereigns have set up presences in the UK where they have found it easiest to rely on exemption for trading income for sovereign immunes rather than working through the underlying analysis. Again, that could have quite a big impact on the practicalities, even if not the ultimate tax bill. Thank you, mate. And in the consultation, there's this sense of there being an alleged quid pro quo here in that having this much more restricted exemption goes along with a broader approach to who are the people who are eligible for this sovereign immunity exemption. Could you expand upon that? So the consultation, as you say, does say that to make the new policy proportionate, they're going to, to some extent, level out the restriction on the scope of the exemption by increasing the types of person or entities that qualify as sovereign immunes in the first place. However, it's actually quite difficult to see that there is, in practice, much broadening when you look at the detail of the proposals. So the kind of getting into the detail of it a bit more, the proposals are that all individual states or so-called constituent territories of federal systems would be recognised as eligible for sovereign immunity. So taking the US as an obvious example, the USA as a federal state will itself qualify, but it will also be clarified that each individual US state can qualify as sovereign immune in its own right. However, whether that's really a broadening is a bit unclear because it's understood that actually in practice, HMRC already allow federal states to benefit from sovereign immunity. The main difference being that at the moment they require that immunity to be granted on a case by case basis. Municipal authorities below the level of constituent territories wouldn't qualify. HMRC have said that that's rooted in international law in discussions since the proposals came out. The other aspect of the proposal is that foreign governments will benefit from exemption. But there is quite a difficult question about exactly how foreign governments should be defined for this purpose. It needs to be clear, but also capture the right kinds of government manifestations. So, for example, government departments, central banks, government funds. At the moment, often overseas government pension schemes will qualify for sovereign immunity. But the consultation invites views on whether that should remain the case. They note that, in fact, overseas government pension schemes might already be eligible for other UK tax exemptions, and they question as to whether they should rely on those instead. There's also a question raised as to how wholly owned state-controlled entities should be treated. And until we know where they come out on those points, I think it is really difficult to say whether there's any broadening at all, or, or in fact, whether there may be a narrowing of the types of entity that qualifies sovereign immune. Thank you, May. Can you expand on the point about whether overseas government pension schemes should remain eligible under the proposed reforms to sovereign immunity on the basis that they may benefit from other UK tax exemptions? So this is likely to be quite a material point in practice for both overseas government pension schemes themselves and for structures through which they invest. At the moment, there are UK exemptions for recognised overseas pension funds, and there are also some benefits available under double tax treaties. 
However, they're not the same as the benefits that UK registered pension funds receive. It is possible for an overseas pension fund to register in the UK. However, for an overseas fund that's already regulated overseas, may well not have any UK pensioners, it's difficult to see that they will find it attractive to have to deal with the compliance obligations that come with UK registration. So to explain in a bit more detail, UK registered pension funds have some quite broad ranging tax advantages. In particular, the vast majority of their income from investment returns is exempt from income tax. They're also able to treat capital gains realised on realising investments as not being chargeable gains. However, as I've alluded to, being a registered pension scheme and falling within that regime is subject to quite significant compliance requirements. And so it's really not a very feasible or attractive option for overseas pension funds. At the moment, unregistered overseas pension funds, i.e. those that haven't registered in the UK and complied with the requirements applicable to UK registered schemes, at the moment, if they meet certain conditions, they do have an entitlement to certain UK tax reliefs. So in particular, there is a more restricted UK tax relief on investments. So capital gains on realising investments are exempt from UK tax. However, income from investment returns would be subject to UK tax, including withholding on UK source interest, unless there is another exemption available. It's also the case that not every overseas pension scheme will qualify for these reliefs. And so as matters stand, if overseas pension schemes were no longer eligible for sovereign immunity, it would seem to leave them in a worse position than UK pension schemes, which doesn't seem to be the intended policy position. So I think a really important question that's going to hopefully be addressed during the consultation and in the consultation response would be how to solve this. So one route would be to say, well, we stick with the existing situation and we say that overseas pension schemes should be able to benefit from the reformed sovereign immunity regime. They should be entitled to benefit from the CGT relief and they should separately benefit from tax relief on the interest income because of the new sovereign immunity that's been legislated. But that's really quite a patchy approach for pension schemes to deal with and it's going to be more complex, there's going to be more of a compliance burden and less certainty. And as I've said, that might not even be available to all pension funds if they don't meet all of the requirements for overseas pension scheme CGT relief. So it doesn't look like a hugely attractive option. The other potentially more workable approach would be to say that there could be a form of pared down version of the UK registered pension scheme rules. I don't think that could include a compliance burden that is equivalent to the current one. But for example, it might be possible to identify regulation in certain jurisdictions that would give a sufficient level of comfort that a lighter touch regime could be applied in the UK to benefit from equivalent exemptions to those for UK registered schemes. Of course, relief via double tax treaties will be a backup option. But I think the view at the moment is that the current systems don't really work well enough in particular, noting that the difficulties that people have been facing with regimes like the double tax treaty passport scheme, where we've seen over recent months and years some really long delays in getting passports approved and directions for relief. So I think that on its own at the moment is not going to be a sufficient solution. Thank you, mate. So some very significant questions here about what the situation will be for foreign pension schemes going forward. 
And a lot of these investors have very significant investments already in the UK um, where they're benefiting from sovereign immunity. So how are those going to be treated going forward? Charlotte, could you comment on whether there are going to be any transitional rules into this new world? Yeah, thank you, Josh. I think this is still a bit of a question mark. The consultation does recognise that it would be unfair if capital gains that have accrued before commencement of the new rules become liable to tax on post-commencement disposals. And so the consultation does suggest that there could be a market value rebasing by sovereign means on the date that the new rules come into force. However, if the rebasing is only at the asset level, it might not work for even slightly more complex structures where the asset is not directly held by the sovereign. And of course, rebasing is actually not necessarily attractive at the moment while asset valuations are low. But in terms of other transitional rules, we haven't seen any other proposals yet. And that's why I say there's still a question mark. Our impression is that HMT and HMRC are looking to stakeholders a a little to see if there are any other bright ideas that could make this a smoother process. And they seem genuinely open to those ideas. In particular, there is currently no proposal for wider grandfathering and the approach for other regimes where sovereign immune status is relevant, such as QII, SSE, remains to be seen. Thank you, Charlotte. And you mentioned process there. Are there any changes proposed to the process of obtaining a sovereign immune status? Not really. It's proposed that following implementation of these proposals into legislation, sovereign immunity will actually still only be available following approval of a formal application made to HMRC. So you still need to apply for it just rather than sort of a a self-assessment process. But once a person has been granted sovereign immunity, they would not have to reapply each year according to the consultation and they would retain that status unless the relationship between the sovereign state and the entity or individual changed. It would be the responsibility of the sovereign person to inform HMRC of such changes. The process for obtaining clearance to pay gross of withholding tax on debt advanced by sovereigns is, by all accounts, not very streamlined in practice. Apparently, it's experiencing similar delays to DTTP scheme applications uh, that May mentioned. And, And we wonder if this could be an opportunity to actually improve this process. Thank you, Charlotte. And earlier you mentioned the QII, the Qualifying Institutional Investor SSE Substantial Shareholding Exemption, which is a regime that gives a more generous exemption from capital gain tax for those qualifying institutional investors. And of course, there are other similar benefits in the UK tax code for qualifying institutional investors, such as in relation to meeting the conditions to have a a REIT or also under the anti-hybrid rules. And most recently, under the qualifying asset holding company regime, institutional investors have a special status that that allows you to access those tax benefits. Helen, could you comment on what's happening with those regimes? Sure, and it's currently open to debate. HMRC have suggested that sovereign immunes would still be treated favourably for the new qualifying asset holding company or quark regime, but that other regimes might need to be amended. From a policy perspective, it would make sense if sovereigns could continue to count as good investors when assessing REIT conditions. But that assumes that the government remain comfortable in allowing gains on UK real estate to roll up tax-free, even in private REIT structures. And from our conversations with the Revenue and the Treasury, it sounds like that's still an open policy question. And the ability to use the QII SSE, as you described it, 
based on sovereign immunity to exempt gains on disposal of UK property-rich companies, feels pretty vulnerable given the apparent policy objective of bringing gains from UK real estate into charge, even in the hands of sovereigns. The problem is there's a lot of real estate holding company structures which have been set up which rely on either REIT or QII status. So restructuring these would be a huge headache, not only for sovereigns, but also for their co-investors and fund managers. And coming back to the position for overseas pension schemes, for the purposes of REITs, SSE, the Quark regime, the UK property-rich collective investment scheme rules, overseas pension schemes generally count as good investors by virtue of their pension status. So at least in principle, the loss of sovereign immunity for these purposes might be less impactful. But that assumes that the technical definitions of overseas pension schemes are satisfied in each case. And that may not always be the case and it may not be straightforward to know. So that creates uncertainty. And so whereas at the moment fund managers often rely on confirmation that overseas government pension schemes have been confirmed as sovereign immune, now they need to know that they're good pension schemes and they can qualify through some other route. And so one of the asks actually from the fund managers is, could there be some kind of clearance service in circumstances where the government decides to reduce the scope of sovereign immunity so that pension schemes aren't covered, so that an investor or fund manager knows if they're dealing with a good pension scheme that qualifies in order to meet whatever status they're trying to achieve with their fund. Thank you, Helen. So potentially significant changes here through various tax exemptions in the in the UK tax code. What type of investors are likely to be most impacted by these proposals? Well, as we've discussed, really the most significant implications are likely to be for sovereigns who are investing in UK real estate. But the consultations also are worry for sovereigns which have set up regional headquarters in the UK because those investors now need to consider whether any of the activities of those headquarters involve trading. And if so, the question will be whether those activities have created taxable permanent establishments, and if so, whether and to what extent that might bring profits and gains into the UK tax net. Now, as you'll know, whether an activity is trading or not, and whether or not a PE has been established, and how to attribute profits to that PE if it is established, are all notoriously grey areas. And grey areas are generally bad news for foreign direct investment. Our impression is that the government may have underestimated the potential headache and deterrence factor this could create, particularly for sovereigns that are considering or have already set up European hub offices in the UK, where they've got fairly senior roles residing in the UK. And of course, the UK is currently benefiting from that, both through the payroll and through the sort of attraction you have where extra investment has been brought into the UK because you've got a large hub based in the UK. And all of the uncertainties are real worry for the government sovereign pension funds, particularly if they no longer qualify as immune, as we've discussed. It's not always clear what other reliefs they'll be able to access and where that's creating Apache coverage. That may be another deterrent to investment. But it's not just the sovereigns who are impacted. So the fund managers, as I've mentioned, will have relied on sovereigns being good investors for different regimes, whether that's Quark or QII or REIT status. So they may now need to restructure their investments. And depending on the scale of the changes, they may need more time and more transitional measures, particularly given the long-term nature of real estate investments. Otherwise, we could end up with a churn of property and more real estate transactions, which could affect valuations. And fund managers are also going to need to look hard at their fund documents to see who bears the cost of any additional tax resulting from the changes, because it's not always going to be, or it may not only be, the sovereigns. And because these proposals came as a surprise, a lot of fund documents won't have anticipated a change of law like this. So it may well be that the, the burden doesn't land fairly or in the place where the revenue would expect it to land. 
And finally, there could be some significant compliance headaches for fund managers, some of whom may have committed that they'll shoulder any UK compliance burdens with their sovereign investors. Thank you, Helen. And uh, what could be some of the wider implications of these proposals? Well, I think despite what, what has been said about the UK having a stable regulatory regime, unexpected surprises generally aren't, aren't good news and don't impact well when we're um, considering sort of competitiveness internationally. In particular, I think the impact of some of these regimes which rely on good investor status that we've discussed, particularly because some of those regimes are pretty new and sovereigns are pretty involved, many of them, in ensuring that those regimes would be effective for them. Having those kind of changed now at, at sort of no notice is going, I think, to affect investor confidence. Coming back to the comparison with other jurisdictions, we suggest the UK should have a regime that's at least equal to the US position. Otherwise, real estate investments are going to shift to the US. Given the current economic climate, it would be pretty disastrous if the UK were to make changes now that deterred foreign direct investment. Now, to the extent those changes result from a policy shift intended to raise UK revenue from UK real estate, that may be understandable, But to the extent those changes are driven by a principal desire simply to tidy up the rules and level out the playing field, I suggest we need to consider quite carefully whether the risks outweigh any perceived benefits here. Thank you, Helen. So some very important changes proposed in this document. For those investors that are potentially impacted by these proposals, what should they be doing next? Well, the consultations open until the 12th September. And HMRC and HMT are very clear that this really is an open consultation and they are interested in getting feedback. So I'd suggest that anybody who is impacted or thinks they may be impacted should pass back their thoughts, either via their advisors or directly to HMT and HMRC, who say they're very willing to have either group or bilateral discussions as needed. And obviously that anyone should feel free to get in touch if they want further details or want help responding to the consultation. Thank you, Helen. And thank you to all our speakers today. So Helen Buchanan, May Smith and Charlotte Anderson. If listeners would like to discuss any of the issues raised in the podcast today, please get in touch with your usual Freshfields contact or any of our podcast speakers. You can also check out the Freshfields website. 